The show you're about to hear is a member of the Plains Talkers Podcast Network. To find out more, go to plainstalkerspodcast.com. Plenty of decks don't get to draw three cards for one man. Well, I mean, all the good ones do. Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. And we are Cantrip Cartel. We're proud members of the Planestalkers Podcasting Network, and we're here to talk magic. Matt, how you doing today? Doing well. Uh, did more adulting today. Um, got my lawn treated for weeds and repaired a light on my garage. Nice. So, um, yeah, just been, I haven't really done anything. Just been kind of watching movies over the weekend. Um, yeah, I honestly just did not have a very exciting week. Yeah, I, I don't really week. have much to report, to be perfectly honest. There's just, I, I watched A Few Good Men, which was great. I, mm-hmm. I've seen it before. I watched 8mm, um, which are both good movies. 8mm is kind of fucked up, so don't watch it with your kids. It's mm-hmm. a about a private detective who gets hired to track down a girl who appeared in a snuff film, mm-hmm. which is, if for anyone who doesn't know, it's a snuff film is a video of a person being killed. Oh, I was thinking, like, the snuff is more colloquially considered, like, porn. Yeah, well, it is. It's, it's, that's why they're watching it. Gotcha. It's people who enjoy watching that. So he's hired to determine whether or not the video is real, mm-hmm. and if so, That'd be rough. who the girl was. <laughs> like, obviously it happens, but, like, in the modern day of the internet, it'd be hard to, like, is it even a real thing? Like, I'm right. sure there's a dozen FBI guys chroming through the internet trying to decipher what is and isn't even real. Yep, well, and what, the first place he starts is he just tries to track down the girl. Mm-hmm. He, like, uh, the story starts, he's like, I'm just going to treat this like a missing person case. Yeah. So, like, is this girl actually missing? If she's just sitting at home in her basement playing magic yep. then it wasn't a real video pretty easy to to knock that one down really yeah, quick so it gets it gets pretty dark pretty quickly <laughs> It'd be pretty funny if that was the movie just <laughs> just zone in on some fbi guy yep. well let's just let's just start and see if it's like a missing person and he does like digging for like an hour just real time yep. an hour You're and just then watching him comb through cards <laughs> then uh yeah then knocks on the door are you samantha jane yeah oh Credits. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I could 100% see, because the star of the movie is Nicolas Cage, so I could 100% see Nicolas Cage, they do this big setup, like it's going to be this murder mystery and whatnot, uh-huh. and then it's just over 45 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be amazing. I would love that. You'd only ever watch it once, but that would be a wild fucking ride. Uh-huh. So, yeah, <laughs> watch that, and like I said, A Few Good Men. Uh, I've just been kind of on a mystery kick lately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And when you came over, I was watching A Nightmare Before Elm Street with my wife. There was something we did this weekend that you didn't talk about. I brought my computer over and I got you to play Elden yeah, Ring. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't know how the hell I spaced that. So we had a buddy of ours. I guess I was traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> I've got PTSD from Elden Ring. From playing from playing my level 170 <laughs> character. Just couldn't handle it. Yep. Hey, I beat my first boss. You did? You beat a little mini boss. Yep. So we... Uh, I shouldn't say we, a buddy of ours, Derek, from the Family Gathering, picked up Elden Ring, sent me a screenshot of it, and I was like, oh, that's good and bad. Yep. Because <laughs> he's never played a Souls game, and so the, your first Souls game is for sure the worst by a lot. Because there's a lot to Souls games, just learning how they work. Like, the combat in Souls games is not traditional for, like, what gaming is these days. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a learning curve there. And then once you learn Soul, like, when I learned Dark Souls 3, it took a long time to play it. But then when I moved over to Sekiro, even though the combat was different... The uh, timing is 
very similar the and like the harshness of it you kind of get accustomed to and then going to play bloodborne was a pretty easy transition because bloodborne is very similar to dark souls so like and then going to elden ring obviously i got my butt kicked but you like you're just so far ahead when you understand the mechanics of combat yeah but anyway it's a lot slower than like a lot of other games Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things like so like i was coming most recently had played Valheim where it's just a very like the combat is quick and it's kind of spammy Uh like you still have to be careful and the combat's pretty lethal in that but like the pace of the fight is a lot faster and when you're used to doing things a lot quicker you beat you just don't behave in the right way the next time I come over I'll have to bring Rami to bring my PS4 and we'll play Bloodborne because Bloodborne is the fast version of Dark Souls and Mm -hmm. that's obviously the combat's very similar whereas um or sorry, the, but the difference is Dark Souls-style combat, which Elden Ring is basically a Dark Souls game, is very turtley. Yeah. Like, Elden Ring and Dark Souls especially is built around shields. Like, you're meant to be behind shields. Um, one thing we didn't do, because I told you I don't do them, but guard counters are a very big part of Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. The idea that you you block an attack, and then you do, like, a quick attack, like, counterattack after you block it. The idea encourages you to block. Yeah, Bloodborne is... Uh, the opposite. There is not a single usable shield in the game. There's actually one shield you can get as a drop, and it's laughably bad. Like, it even in the description talks about how bad it is, because gotcha. it just isn't suited for the game. Because it's very fast-paced, it's very aggressive, it's very, uh, it's very, it's very like, get in there, fight, like, beat them up. Isn't that the one where you, like, gain health yes while you're dealing damage so or if you like get that. hit your health goes down like by like 50 let's say your health goes down 50 percent mm-hmm. well 25 the last 25 percent of that 50 percent stays like kind of red and if you attack before that fades you get it back gotcha and it encourages you you get hit get back in the fight hit 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 you'll get half your health back or some so the percentage. game's really want pushing you to be more aggressive it's it's literally designed like it's not yeah. not like it rewards aggressive you're supposed to be aggressive Dark Souls is obviously not that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got to tool around. I always, I uh, was talking to Matt about it because he, I noticed it. It was in your your uh, your Steam folder as like your wish list, and I was like, if you want to try it, the first thing you should do is play like a full max character because uh, I think I was saying, I think the the like little term I came up was like, if you don't like the end game of Dark Souls, you definitely won't enjoy getting the beginning there. In the, the beginning and the middle. Because yeah. the only point of Dark Souls, I and mean, there's a lot of points. Like for me, the point of Dark Souls is to get to the end where you have like a powerful character and you can pwn noobs. Not PvP, but just like the game. You can just, yeah. you can bend the game over. And if you don't enjoy bending the game over a barrel, you absolutely will not enjoy the game bending you over a barrel for 25 hours. Yeah. So like if you have the chance, if you want to play Elden Ring or Dark Souls, if you have a friend that has access to it or like and has like a, a relatively high level character, go play it for, you know, an hour. Like get your max level character, get really good weapons, get a lot of stamina, go to an area where there's weak enemies and strong enemies, and just like tool around. And that's what you do. You just kinda of rolled through the same like high level area five or six times, killed a bunch of enemies, went and fought a boss, fought him like three or four times, and had fun. I think yeah. I, had, I mean you had a good time. Yeah, I had a good time. I don't think you've bought it. No, I haven't yet. I've like I said, I uh, I told you this. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I almost never buy brand new games. Mm-hmm. Um, I am incredibly picky about video games, and it's not that. So a perfect example of this is like uh, Nier Automata. Yeah, it was a I've game. actually bought it twice, and I have about ten hours in it. Yep. Between the two copies, and it's because like it's one of those things where like a standing back, I can objectively look at that and go, that is an amazing game. I play it for about three or four hours, and I just feel no desire to play huh. it. And it's it's it's, ex- it's like right up my alley. It's probably one of the better hack and slash games I've ever played. Th- I know, and that's the thing. Like that's why I bought it twice. I was like, well, maybe I'll enjoy it more on my PlayStation because like I get video games 
for me, they just feel different when I'm playing them on a console, on a couch, at a TV than mm-hmm. I do at my PC. And that's just another irrational quirk about me. But like, it just, it just didn't hook mm. me. And that's the same. So you didn't, you didn't even beat like the main story. No. Because so the whole gimmick, and this is gonna be a spoiler alert if you haven't played Near Automata. The game yeah. came out 15 years ago. It's not my fault. The gimmick of the game is it's relatively short. So mm-hmm. it's a full price game. Uh, when I you play through your first playthrough and you play whatever the chicks to be. Yep. And it's probably like, it probably took me like 10, 12 hours to beat the game, which isn't a lot. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe even eight. But the point of it is when you play, you you like go, oh, yeah, new game plus. It's not 2B. It's her sidekick. Yeah. And so, because there's tons of points in the game where like he's doing different things or you're fighting multiple enemies at once or he's totally gone. I think the game was meant to be played like six times. Yep. And I bought the game. I played through 2B's quest line or her story. I loved it. I played whatever his sidekick is. I played his for like an hour and I was like, I hate this. And I never played it since. <laughs> yep. And I still recommend it as an amazing game because I enjoyed 2B section so much. I had so much fun moving through the dystopian world. Like the story was really good. The combat was amazing. Well, I loved the, the combat. The different styles of combat. You've got like the twin stick shooters and like. It uh, It really like, I love hack and slash games that like really enforce, like have, it's hot swapping is what it is. But they, mm-hmm. they have hot swapping. They, they really like reward you for doing like cool combos and, you know, button combinations and stuff mm-hmm. uh the last game i played that did that was really well and i'm not in any order but was devil the devil may cry remake dmc mm-hmm. was really good about allowing you to hot swap between weapons mid-combat because yeah. i mean and dmc isn't necessarily a hard game you're just chasing a multiplier like you're chasing the max where you can for for the fights um that's the have you ever played dmc oh i played the have you played devil one. may cry I just played dmc i played devil may cry gotcha a lot of people that played devil may cry because i remember looking into it because i didn't play devil may cry i picked up dmc on sale and it's a remake, and it's a yeah. complete remake. And the people that play Devil May Cry hate it because it's not Devil May Cry. Yeah. The people that play DMC love it because it's amazing. Yeah. And it's if you're not, I, it, what it sounds like is if you're not comparing it to Devil May Cry, the game's amazing. If you wanted a Devil May Cry remake, you are sorely yeah. It's just a bad remake. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad it's, remake. Well, a bad remake in the sense that it's not true to the original. Yeah. yeah it's like very, like a reboot. Yeah. It's totally different. Um, but I loved it. Like the music's great. It's got just super loud, heavy metal death music. It's got uh, really good weapons, really good combat, in my opinion. Oh, uh, the combat. And so I played the original Devil May Cry. I beat that. It was not, they're not easy games. They, on the surface, it looks like it should be easy because like it's just a big hack and slash. Mm-hmm. But when you get to some of the bosses, they yeah. actually are kind of hard. There's hard fights. And like it doesn't it does not reward button mashing. No, you have to really like pick your yeah. spot and combo when and you need to. Pick and your weapons. Pick the we- like, the correct weapons for the correct fights. They did it with uh I think God of War three. They really embraced hot swapping weapons. Because mm-hmm. like God of War, uh they always had I wanna say one and two had different weapons, but like God of War three for me is where it felt like it really got into like, you really need to have multiple weapons equipped and be moving between them. Like, the game just gets so much easier if you learn how to hot swap and you get crazy combos and yeah. stuff going on. What are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't Devil know May Cry is great. <laughs> yeah. I, DM, Devil May Cry is great. DMC is great. I yeah. can't speak to Devil May Cry. DMC is awesome. I, uh, it's something about Elden Ring. Well, we were talking about uh, how I don't buy video games at full price. Oh, that's what it was. But... Well, Devil May Cry 5 is a perfect example of that because I really actually wanted to... Oh, that's right. This is the downside. <laughs> I actually you... wanted to play Devil May Cry 5 when it first came out. I didn't buy it, and then I just kind of forgot about it. Yep. <laughs> so I still don't have Devil May Cry you, 5. Because uh, you were talking about Nier, Nier Automata or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I actually have Devil May Cry 5, and I put like six hours in it, and it just like I just like stopped playing it for a weekend and stopped. The, the only thing that I really didn't like... So uh, from what I understand, this could be apocryphal, but I... 
pretty sure this is true, is Devil May Cry, the first one, was supposed to be a a new spin on the Resident Evil franchise, which is why it's like super like dark and gothic and you're in that kind of mansion kind of thing. And then the, the gameplay mechanics were just too different from Resident Evil. So they just spun it off into its own franchise. And gotcha. then if I remember correctly, that's how Devil or Resident Evil Code Veronica or Resident Evil Nemesis came about. I don't remember the, the whole history there. But, like, I loved that, like, spooky gothic mansion kind of stuff. And then just watching, like, Devil May Cry 5, it was very, like, bright and vibrant mm-hmm. and, like, takes place on city streets and stuff like that. And it looks fun, but it didn't, like... If you like dark and gothic, then you should play Bloodborne. If you want to play a, a Soulsborne game, mm-hmm. because whereas Dark Souls and Elden Ring is very bright, it has dark sections, but it's very bright and well-lit and, a, like, an open world. Like, I mean, fucking in Elden Ring, you saw the... Yeah, the fucking sun tree is in the sky the whole time. Yep. Um, Bloodborne is like the exact opposite. It's very dark and dingy. It's very uh, Lovecraft. It's I mean, it's not very. Yeah. Love- it is literally Lovecraftian. There's literally Cthulhu monsters in the mm-hmm. fucking world, but it's very dark and drab, and it's very not grayscale, but like the the whole like color scheme has just been turned to like the muted dark There's browns like- and blacks and grays. Whereas like. Um, Dark Souls 3 and Elden Ring has like bright shining armor and you know like shiny glinty weapons and like in Bloodborne it's all like dark leather, black leather, burned leather, dingy weapons, dirty weapons. It's just a completely different feel yeah. and both are good. But yeah, you should if you like that kind of thing, you might like playing Bloodborne if you want to try a Soulsborne game. Like I mean Elden Ring's a great one to pick up though. Like Elden Ring's pretty cool and the ability of having the open world makes it a lot more accessible to people where um, if you're willing to learn the mechanics, you can't. It, grinding is a little. It's hard to say grinding's easier because Elden Ring, in my opinion, has totally fucked up the rune system. Like in the early to mid game, runes are so hard to come by. I was talking mm-hmm. to you. Like when you need to level up early in the game, I think it's. I think in your first like ten levels, it's like you know like a thousand to ten thousand runes. Like the first ten levels, like maybe one or two thousand runes per level, mm-hmm. up to like three or four thousand runes per level. And when you're in the early parts of the game, like you'll kill an enemy and you'll get like fifty. Mm-hmm. Or 40 runes. Like, you'll fight a soldier. It's kind of a hard fight for you. And you'll get 40 or 70 runes. And yeah, it's like, oh, I need, to kill, of uh, your... I need to kill 100 of these to maybe level up. Like, yeah. And that's assuming I don't die and lose any in yeah, the meantime. don't die twice in a row. So, yeah. But the game allows you to, like, the problem is if you get good at the game, for me, I ran over to some high-level areas. Because you can just leave. You can just go to high-level areas. And you can get um, a lot more runes a lot quicker that way. The risk is a lot higher because you're now you're in one shot territory where like you can't get hit twice for sure. Maybe you yeah. can't get hit once, but the runes and the equipment is a lot higher. So I don't know if it's better or worse. Dark Souls three um, because it's so scripted. The Dark Souls games are very scripted, and I mean it's, it's a path. You literally move through an area in a very linear path. Mm-hmm. There might be branching paths, but it's very linear. Uh, and so the souls acquisition is a lot more catered because they kind of know where you should be or like they, they can make you where you want, where they want yeah. you to be. Whereas in this game, they have no clue where you're going to be. It's like, it's, it's so that you can't run off to a high level area and start farming up, you know, enemies worth 5,000 runes each, just kind of like sneaking through and getting easy kills here and there. But I said, I don't know if that makes the game better or worse because it is harder to level up if you don't know how to learn the game. But it also, like, I mean, you're going to, it does make dying less of a big deal because you're yeah. not carrying around as many runes. I don't know. Yep. The, uh, um, this is related, but a little bit of a tangent. The, I saw on Twitter today that the any percent speed run for Elden Ring is down to six minutes. Yep. There's a little under six minutes. Have you heard so. the whole stick behind that? No, I don't know how they're doing. I'm, any percent for anybody who doesn't know is you can use 
you can literally do anything in the game that it will let you do, whether it's glitches or whatever, mm-hmm. to just basically get yourself to the last boss and kill it. Yeah. So I don't. They don't. I don't, I don't think he even fights the last boss. Yeah. Just, you just need to get to the end. Screen. You get to the end credits. Yes. Yes. And so the whole gimmick on this is I haven't watched. I don't know who it is. It's a very popular speedrunner. I think his like he's he's holds the record or held the record or for all the Bloodborne game or all the Soulsborne games. Mm-hmm. There's a glitch where and I saw a TikTok about why so I can explain it a little better. But um, I guess it's I've heard rumors like it's hardware specific using this glitch like it depends on what like CPU and graphics you have mm-hmm. but it's all about you turn the game down to like minimum settings like minimum minimum graphic settings and you literally use a metronome to get like 109 beats per minute timing right you and like you mash a couple buttons and the right way and it teleports you forward super far it just like <laughs> it just fucks the game and it take and it just shoots Ugh. you forward hundreds or thousands of feet and so it's shown them moving through areas and just getting up to where you're not supposed to be because the the whole thing about dark souls one of the one of the things dark souls does better than any other game or at least comparable to the best games that do this is they have amazing level design and amazing world design in that anytime you're in like an open world game or just a game with uh, the ability to look out because like dark souls 3 is an open world but anytime you can look onto the horizon and you see shit that's shit we're gonna go do or shit we already did mm-hmm. that's the whole that's one of the big things about dark souls like you can in dark souls 3 you're moving through the world and you can like look across a valley and you see a, a town we're going there you will be there and you'll be moving through it. you'll see a giant castle up on a mountainside that's where we started we started there we worked down here so the game is very like you're always looking at stuff but it's not just showing you like cool story elements it's showing you shit you where you were what that means, though, is the world is very interconnected. Like, it yeah. all exists at once, and so you these glitches that allow you to teleport even moderately large distances, you can jump over these over what would normally be unreasonable gaps and get and jump past areas yeah. quite efficiently. And, like, yeah, did to it, the point where you can beat the game in six minutes. How did they... Did he actually fight the boss, or does does he use some sort of thing to just in instant fairness, kill it? Or, I haven't know? seen it. Gotcha. Um, but I heard a rumor. I was listening to like so I watched some YouTubers, and I think I heard him reference offhand that he's not even fighting the last boss. He's yeah. just he's glitch. He's getting to an area where the game there's probably out. like a, a spot or something. He's yeah. like if you get glitching here, through a wall, and it's considering the game. It, the game thinks it's over, yeah. kind of like the old uh, Mario World hack, where mm-hmm. like you, you like, can glitch the game into thinking it's over by like the whole thing. I think you spit a shell out, eat a shell, jump. Get, collect a thing and the game's like I don't know what to do uh, yep. game over Yep, you and win counts it as a win yeah yeah. so it's something probably similar to that but I'm not I won't speak for him or her whoever they are because I don't know I haven't seen their thing um, but like I've heard 12 minutes I've heard 10 minutes 6 minutes is you know that's the current one I'm well it is cool yeah I am way more interested in like what's the like a real playthrough like I don't care I, I always I always consider it any percent like you just get to the end as fast as you can not like I shouldn't say any percent obviously counts ha- not hacking yeah. but like glitching but any percent was like to get from point A to point B like how quickly can you move through the world kill the bosses you have to get the items you have to and win yeah uh, and get, achieve a natural game over yeah at least some you gotta at least kill the last boss without glitching that's yeah. cause like whenever I'm watching speedruns I I appreciate the skill involved in any percent runs mm-hmm. but like I wanna see someone actually execute the gameplay yeah. now to be fair most of the people who can do an any percent run are also oh, masters yeah. of the game like these are i mean like it's yeah if you're listening you've never heard of any percent run like it's important to remember when they're doing any percent runs you're literally like catching one in 50 frames yeah to accomplish a task like you have to do a thing such that you like make hypothetically and this is an un- this isn't an unreasonable guesstimate but you're going to make seven or eight inputs 
on the perfect frame in a row. Yeah. To accomplish. And if you mess any of them up in a lot of these runs, the run's over. Yeah. You've wasted too much time. It doesn't matter anymore. Yep. But yeah, you have to put in like six inputs in a row on the correct frame each to accomplish. It's like, like I said, the guy's using a metronome to make things work right. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anywho. I guess we're Welcome about to the Elden Ring podcast. Yeah. Hey, uh, this is Derek's fault. If you guys <laughs> head over to Family Gathering Podcast and yell at him, because I put a thing up on our on our Discord, being like, "Hey guys, you know what should we talk about?" You know, and he's like, "Talk about Elden Ring," because he's he got the game. So <laughs> mission accomplished. Uh, yeah, go to there for do him a favor. Go listen to the most recent episode. If you're gonna yell at him, he deserves a listen from you. They're on Spotify and pretty much everywhere else we are. And then go to one of their social media accounts and yell at him for making our podcast longer than it needs to be. We'll give a big shout out to Will and Aramis, hosts of the Planestalkers Podcasting Network. Their show, the Planestalkers Podcast, comes out. Normally it gets streamed every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard at planestalkerspodcast.com or uh, at twitch.tv forward slash planestalkerspodcast.com. A little bit of a snafu this week. Will and Aramis both got sick like at the same time. So it was like Aramis is like has no voice. So Will hits me up. Hey, can you record an episode? Sure, I can record an episode on Monday. He hits me up on like Sunday, and then Monday comes around. He's like, Yeah, I'm sick. Uh, I have a st- <laughs> I, my eye, I have a stein in my eye. I can't look at screens. Maybe we'll try Thursday. So this week's a little weird, but usually every Monday you can check him out on Twitch. You can head to that same Twitch on Wednesdays, also at 7 p.m. for their Commander Craft episode, which I may or may not be in this week. I'm not sure because Aramis still isn't feeling good. All kinds of crap. If you want to check out their Discord, discord.plainsockerspodcast.com, that's where I post a lot of our stuff. We share a Discord with them. It's a pretty big community full of, a, for the most part, pretty good people. Yeah, pretty good people. Yeah, I'd say so. But uh, we all chit-chat about all kinds of crap. We have tons of channels in there between, like, deck help and commander help and standard help. And now we have, like, pioneer channels and legacy channels. So if you want to come over and kind of just join into that, you can actually even catch one of their uh, win-a-box tournaments. Every time a new standard legal set comes out, they host a free tournament where it's usually on Arena. I'm trying to get them over to MTGO, but it's a free entry. Usually you pick a deck, uh, play your games. If you win, they send you a box in the mail for free. So it's pretty sweet. All right, with all that out of the way... Um, Matt, how's Legacy looking? So, we're going to be looking at Sunday's challenge. Um, the top eight is deceptive. We still have a lot of the same problems that we've been having over the past seven or eight months with Blue Red Delver, but this particular challenge, the top eight, actually looks really good. So, this is one of those things where if we could get this top eight every week, you probably wouldn't hear people complaining. Like some variant of this, uh-huh. there are for the first time. For the first time that I can remember since we started the podcast, eight different decks in the top eight. Yep, there's literally one blue red Delver, and then just tons of like tons yeah. of cool stuff. So the top eight's going to be very interesting to talk about. Uh, like I said, we've still got some of the same issues with blue red Delver from the top thirty-two overall. Yep, and uh, the Saturday challenge was pretty much a similar thing where the top eight wasn't too bad, but the overall top thirty-two was even worse yep. than this week. Let's, so. go through, let's go through these kind of quickly. We spent a long time on our pre-show. Yep. Let's go through these kind of quickly because I still don't want to have a two-hour episode this week. Yeah. So bringing it home is I kick squirrels with Reanimator. You shouldn't kick squirrels. <laughs> Squirrel you two. should, however, uh, win challenges. Yes, you should absolutely win challenges, and you should doubly do so with Reanimator. Yep. Um, just looking at the list, I don't see anything particularly spicy. It's uh, a little spicy. Got, it's 
So this is a this is not your traditional reanimator list. Well, this is a Children of Coralus deck. So obviously it has the reanimator targets you're hoping to get, Sarah's Emissary, Archon of Cruelty, and Grizzlebrand, but it also has a Children of Coralus loop with Tendrils of Agony. Yeah. Tendrils, uh, Children of Coralus lets you loop your deck by uh, you reanimate this or cast it for one white mana, sacking it to gain the life you paid for Grizzlebrand lets you just draw an obscene amount of cards, cast tons of spells, and cast a Tendrils for a this kill this turn kill, which is like. If I was going to go back to reanimate this, I would play this list. Even though there, like, you you swap in a couple cards, you yeah. basically cut two grief and throw in a tendrils and a children of Corlos, yeah. and you're good to go. Like the package is relatively small, um, but it allows you to, like I said, win this turn, and that's very important. There's yeah. a lot of times that reanimator hands the turn over after resolving a big fatty and just loses the game. Yeah. Um, as a side note, again, uh, this. Sideboard has three show and tell as well, so it can swap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you caught that or not, but it's got one underground C in the main, and then show and tell. Just so obviously, if you're expecting a bunch of graveyard hate, yep, uh, it's sometimes easier just to flip over to a show and tell package. But yeah, this this type of list we've seen before, which is pretty much what I was getting at. Um, but yeah, it's reanimator for yep. the most part. Uh, Stifle Knot. Now, Stifle Knot, we do not see very often. Very rarely. Stifle Knot's definitely one of those, like, fan favorites. There's a huge, like, people love Stifle Knot, and it just doesn't get there very often. Yep. And there's one really big reason, because a one-mana 12-12 with Trample dies to literally everything. Especially in a world, like, where 8-cast is relevant. Like, it it amazes me that uh, Call Me Dragon was able to top come in second place with this. Like with how much Kappa Cannoneer and just eight cast in general hate there is, and how much cheap removal there is for Delver. Mm-hmm. I don't get me wrong, sticking a one mana twelve twelve or a or two one mana twelve twelves on turn one or two is great, but it's a really risky world for them to live in. But kudos, like ten out of ten. Yeah, that's the thing is often that's just not enough anymore. Yeah. That's the biggest problem is like you can probably get oh, this deck to do this like relatively con- yeah. consistently, but it's just like, Quite frankly, it's just easy to answer. Laughably, it's not enough anymore. Yeah. So in case anyone's, uh, for reference, if you're relatively new to Legacy, like I had to learn this. So the whole thing about Phyrexian Dreadnought, he's a 1-mana 12-12 from, uh, what's that? That's Mirage. Mirage. So it's a 1-mana 12-12 with Trample, and it has an ability, when it enters a battlefield, you sacrifice any number of creatures whose total power equal 12. If you don't, you sacrifice the Dreadnought. And so it's literally like the Phyrexian's like chewing up a bunch of creatures to make a 12-12. You get around that, since it is technically an ETB, with things like uh, Stifle. That's why it's called Stifle Knot. So you mm-hmm. can literally stifle that end of the battlefield, and you just get a 1-mana 12-12. The other common way is with Scroll of Fate. It allows you to manifest the card, which means you put it face down as a 2-2, and then you can pay its mana cost to flip it over. Yeah. And since you're flipping it over from Manifest, you it never entered the battlefield. So yeah, you don't it didn't e- enter as the Dreadnought. Yes, it does. It doesn't see an ETB trigger. And the third way, which is probably the most common these days, is with Dress Down. So you can like the common thing you see is at the end of your opponent's turn, cast Dress Down. On my turn, cast two Dreadnoughts. Yeah, because they lose all abilities, so they just enter, and then now you have a couple twelve twelves. But they won't have Trample for the turn they can't attack, Jake. Yep, unfortunately, they don't have Gosh. haste. I have seen lists that will run Anger since this does run yep. uh, like volcanic islands and whatnot, they'll run angers yeah. in the hope and anger and some mill strategies. So you can mill your anger and give them haste. But this list doesn't other than that. It's a pretty standard. Is it deck with things like you do have some black. So you have like Croxa. I shouldn't say some black Croxa is a lot of black, but things like bolt brainstorm ponder, you have the blue shell. It does running days, uh, expressive iteration, force of will. And probably what really carried this deck to the top two is two Merktide. Yeah. So this is a, it's very Delverish in uh, it's in the aspect of 
You're planning on flooding the board with a few Phyrexian Dreadnoughts between turns 1 and 4, forcing your opponent to have answers, whether it be Force of Wills or Removal Spells or whatever. Hopefully, somewhat cleaning their hand out of answers, and then you can slam a Murktide on turn between 3 and 5. Hopefully it be a 6-6 six, six or 7-7, seven, seven, and maybe be able to, with a Force of Will backup, carry that through the victory. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of that with... Uh... The addition of Urza Saga as well, where like Urza Saga is elevating a lot of tier three or tier two decks to just be more consistent as far as not necessarily executing their game plan, but giving them a solid plans B and C. So when the stifle when the stifle knot thing doesn't work out, you still have one of the best creatures ever printed. And he has almost no this is I mean, this fundamentally one of the problems with Murktide Regent is there's no cost to running Murktide Regent in Legacy. Like, what do you want to do? You want to fill your sorcery up with instants and sorcery, or your graveyard up with instants and sorceries. Well, 70% of legacy decks want to do that anyways. Yep. So, like, all you have to do is run Brainstorm, Ponder, Lightning Bolt, and the card's pretty good. Correct. So, that's, again, another deck, uh, probably another tier two or tier, tier three deck that just gets elevated a little bit. Now, this is, in my opinion, a good aspect of Murktide region yeah. or Urza's Saga. Yeah, this is the use of Murktide. Like, if, if Murktide comes in and starts pumping up Stifleknot decks, that's cool. Yeah. The problem is it's not. It's pumping up Blue Red Delver. Correct. In third place, we've got Doomsday. We need to get a Doomsday expert on to talk about Doomsday. The deck's so cool and so interesting and, like, so complicated that I have no idea what I'm looking at when I see a Doomsday list. Yeah, like, and I'm sure you're the same way. I get it all, but I don't know the decks well enough in and out to, like, Say like, oh well, this is a super spicy card, yep. like that kind of thing. Like all I mean, this even, stuff is like, could you even build a doomsday pile in less than like five minutes? Because I couldn't. Uh, it depends on the circumstances of the game, but like I, I fully understand the principle where you want to get like a cavern of souls. You want to get your, uh, you, your goal is to cast Thassa's Oracle, and the cards in there need to be cards that you can chain draw into each other and end with an uncounterable Thassa's Oracle. Mm-hmm. Now doing that perfectly in a tournament i definitely could not yeah. do <laughs> it's a very complicated deck yes it's gotten a lot easier with uh, thassa's oracle but it's a very complicated deck yeah the uh, so yeah, I, I, it'd be cool to get like a like a doomsday person on to just kind of like talk about doomsday because the deck's so crazy yep um the doomsday did come up in some d- other discussions as far as uh there was a i can't remember it might have been mtg goldfish there was an article that came out or it was either last week or early this week so yesterday about cards that could be potentially unbanned and like Necropotence was in the uh, conversation. <laughs> Politely disagree. And Doomsday was one of the things they were talking about where like it's probably not as it's probably not as good as Doomsday in a Doomsday deck because for three black mana Doomsday almost always wins the game and for three black mana Necropotence wins games but it doesn't almost guarantee you a win. Necropotence probably adds more to like Tess or Ant. The big thing with me is like I don't I think it's hard to look at the addition of Necropotence and just say it slots into an existing deck. I think it's kind of one of those things. I made the same prediction about Chatterstorm when it came out in uh, Modern Horizons. I was like, I don't think this is just going to slot into a deck. It's going to make a deck. Mm-hmm. And Necropotence is strong enough, in my opinion. It can go in other things, but someone's going to figure out how to break that and actually make a deck that yeah. utilizes Necropotence to the best of its abilities. I don't think any of these existing decks really utilizes Necropotence. They... They can use a Necropotence because they can use mm-hmm. a bunch of cards, but I don't think it wields that card to the fullest of its abilities. It's incredibly busted. If you haven't played with Necropotence, I know you have, mm-hmm. but like we, I mean, when we were playing EDH, I just started taking it out of my decks because it was boring. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, I get this. It's like, you get a Necropotence unless 
Like, it just feels like you can't lose. Yeah. It feels like cheating. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, it effectively is. And that, to be fair, that's why it's on the ban list. Yep. So I personally would disagree with anybody who says Necrobotans should come off the ban list. I don't think we need any more combo decks and legacy. Yeah. I understand that black is kind of bad right now, and it's a black card, but it's not the kind of a black card that adds to the format. Yeah, the ability to trade life for cards um, in any in any kind of efficient manner has just been shown time and time again to be completely unrealistic. So, fourth place, we've got Stoneblade. That's which, pretty cool. Out of all the decks, and if I remember correctly, Stoneblade actually top eighted on Saturday too. Yeah, or it won on Saturday. So, not gonna lie, hundred percent did not see us talking about Stoneblade yeah. this week. Who thought that was gonna be? A, like literally the week after, I'm like, Calder's not good enough, man. Like Calder just doesn't care the way it needs to. And it's yeah. like, by the way, <laughs> dude doesn't isn't running any swords. Gta, Batter Skull, and Caldra. Yep, and that's. This this is on the back of a relatively Delverish plan of Delver of Secrets, um, Entry of Nemesis, which is like OG Delver, but still Delver. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is this. And what I, I was going to say, just to kind of back you up, but in a different way. This list actually, other than Cauldra, like you've got some of the additional removal, but this actually looks like an old school Stoneblade list. Like I want to just not in a bad way, but like, hey, uh, you do know that they're been a bunch of cards that have been <laughs> reprinted since this yeah but like it's it's just cool yep like this like, is just straight stone four, blade with some better removal four stifle four days really running that like um, gotcha plan the gotcha plan the like limiting your resources for i mean four wasteland four days four stifle this is very delverish yeah and it's designed with a stoneforge mystic and true nemesis plan to back it up yep so super excited to see that Again, I don't love the fact that, again, another blue deck is around, mm -hmm. but at least it's one that I enjoy seeing. Yep. And it's something different. Uh, if Death and Taxes isn't going to top eight, Stoneblade's the next best thing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Speaking uh, of something different. Yeah. In fifth place, we've got Is It Delver, which, again, if uh, made up one of every top eight, I don't think people would have too much to say about it. Wouldn't complain as much. I'd still complain if it's 22% of the meta. Yeah. But one of top eight at least isn't too bad. Just looking at it here... I hesitate to call it spicy, but a Snapcaster in the side is probably about the spiciest thing I've seen in a blue-red Delver list in a while. Yeah. Um, other than that, it just all looks looks like Delver. We got the one Steam Vent, one Brazen Borrower, one Chain Lightning variant. Yep. Pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, then we'll see if they correctly labeled this. Yep. So we've got Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Goldfish mixes up Storm lists names all the time. Mm -hmm. And I know those Storm players hate that when... They're playing the Epic Storm, and you're playing Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Yeah. <laughs> so, looks like we've got that. Um, Pass and Flames is usually the um, the key differential. Like, I'm pretty sure Test doesn't run Pass and Flames, whereas Ant is notorious. Like, that's notoriously like the main engine of of Ant, Ad Nauseam Tendrils. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I'm not positive, but I don't know if Reign of Filth is standard. It is one of that I've, looks like a, a, an interesting maybe option to bite boarding because I haven't yeah. seen Rain of Filth in any Stormless in a while. Um, but I don't see anything like new. Like, I don't see any new cards. I don't see anything like crazy like out of, out of left field. Yep. Malevolent Hermit. Yeah. Doesn't look like there's anything super spicy here. We have an announcement at the end. There's a reason we're going through Legacy pretty quickly. Jeskai Control in seventh place. And this looks like just, yeah, just a straight list. There's a lot of variants that have like the wheels and narset or whatever and whole like whole breacher uh this has just got your snapcaster mages uh wandering emperor jake mm -hmm. some stuff you like not Again, at all surprised not that these are super hard takes but just to kind of 
rub it in that we at least have some idea what we're talking about. Not only did uh, we both call Wandering Emperor, but March of Otherworldly Light. We talked about those in previous episodes when they were spoiled as very good cards. This is a relatively interesting build. So you've got things like this. So this is more of a, we do have Entreat the Angels, yep. which is a card we don't see very often. We've got a Shorikai Genesis Engine. Yeah, that's. I was working on, yeah. like, that's, you've that got, card's cool. We're running Marches. So it is kind of cool to see Marches come in and take two of the Prismatic Ending slots. Um, we have two Tithe. I did see that as well. So, like, uh, we have a Dovin's Veto, which is hilarious. The the Tithe actually makes a lot of sense to me when you look at, like, the mana cost of the deck. Like, yeah. this you is, really we, need to hit your land drops. Like, we're approaching three-drop tribal, yes. sort of, with things like uh, three or four-drop with Teferi and Narset. Uh, you got Snapcatcher, which is at a Snapcaster Mage, which is a three-drop at minimum. Um, things like Dovin's Veto, which... Isn't really a three drop, but like if you want to do anything, it's a three or four drop. Yeah. Like I mean, like we're past the point in Magic where you can play draw go Magic. And yeah. You don't to win just get game. to. You don't just get to sit there yep. with two lands untapped every turn passing. See the you see the really clean answer that people have been talking about and nobody's running for eight cast like Kappa Cannoneer just folds. Let me see if I can guess it here. Is it in the main or the side? It's in the main. It's like the only thing you can run to have a legitimate answer for Kappa Cannoneer. On curve, well, there's supreme be. verdict. Supreme verdict. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yep. Like that's just that's where decks need to go. If they you want, play if, it and just yeah, wipe the board. If you want, if you want Capicanier to not be a time walk, then you have to run either that or something like it. There actually is a new card coming out that uh, will take its place relatively well. But the idea, like those decks, are so good at drawing tons of cards, it's not hard for them to be like, all right, your turn. You're gonna store. You're gonna pay five mana to source my Capicanier. Force of Will with Force of Will backup because yeah. I've drawn eight cards in the last four turns. Yep. So, like, you've got to have this uncounterable threat to go through. Four mana, cleanly answer it. Doesn't target it, any of that crap. Well, and on top of that, um, eight cast routinely goes wide as well. Yeah. So, like, most of the time you're going to... Not only is it a clean answer to one of the best cards in the deck, yep. it's it, a clean answer to everything else that's also hanging around, too. It even answers it before it comes out. Yeah. Because, like, Kappa Cannoneer gets cast off of having a board to improvise. So even if you can't catch the Kappa, but they've got, like, four creatures... It's probably it might be worth it as a supreme verdict. Yeah, especially if one of those is a sigh. Like just clean the board up, get rid of all that crap, and make that Kappa Cannon here way harder to cast. Yep. So look at like this Shorakai Genesis engine. What is this? Because I don't even know what it is. So I've I have not seen this played. This is the first time I've seen it played popped up. I have not seen this card before. So it's a two generic mana, a blue and a white for a legendary artifact vehicle. It's an eight eight. So most of the creature aspect of this is going to be almost entirely useless. Uh, you can tap a uh, pay colorless, tap it, draw two cards, then discard a card. Create a one-one pilot creature mm -hmm. token with this creature cruise vehicles as though it were power were two or yeah, two it's a, the, the, the pilots. Yeah, so they, they, basically they, makes it three. They power crew creature. it as a three draw, as yeah. a three power, but it's a one whatever. <laughs> I saw, I did see this on. The legacy pit. Somebody was tooling around with this build, and it's just a good draw engine. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, and then it, it crews just so we. It does crew eight. So like, yeah. if you're not using, especially in this deck, if you're not using the uh, tokens, it's probably not going to get. Yeah. Crewed. Well, I mean, it literally it, it, it. If you think about it, crewing eight for an eight eight yeah. doesn't even do more damage because yep. it doesn't fly. It doesn't have any evasion. But what it does do is one, it does draw cards. It does fill your graveyard, which may or may not matter. It doesn't for this list as much, but. It also makes dudes. It yep. makes very bad monastery mentor tokens. Well, and it, the big thing is it, or I guess it would be closer. It would it makes young peasy tokens. Yeah. So like the cool thing here, in my opinion, 
is that it probably protects your planeswalkers reasonably well. It's drawing you cards because that like a one one, I don't I don't want to say it's not a card because like you draw two and then you discard one, so you're up one card, but mm-hmm. you do get a token as well. So you're kind of up a card and a half. Yeah, that seems right. Like in this deck list, like a one one is not going to be how you're trying to win this game. Um, at least not very effectively, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, not to say that it couldn't happen, but like that's to me when you've got those six planeswalkers in there. If you could have a, you know, an, a Teferi with a Chakori throwing bodies in front of it to yep. just keep him alive and let him do some serious work, mm-hmm. like that's how I. In the meantime, you're still drawing a bunch of cards. Like, draw two, discard one is very good. Yeah, I mean one mana. Like, yeah, that's, that's that's good. That card is broken. If that like if that's a card, pay one mana, draw two, discard one. That card's just broken. Like that's almost bannable. Yep. Now throwing it onto a four drop obviously makes it a a different story, but it's an interesting tech. Yeah, uh, and then and for these like go long controly decks running seven or eight dedicated removal spells in the main, maybe yep. like it makes sense. Yeah, just, and it it kind of fills the same role as like um, they were running Jace for a while, and then there's a land that did something. It was the blue flip land, um, where you could like look at the top couple cards and get a non non creature non land. Well, like, there's where you're just getting these like. Do you mean that? You mean the bolt land sh- uh, Seagate restoration? Because that was seven mana no, to draw. It was. It was. <sighs> oh, it's. I know. It's, it's so it's it's, the a, one it's that, a. I can. I, I don't know the name of it is, but it's a tapped island, and you pay three mana. You look at the top. I want to say six. You get you get to basically Narset. Well, there was there was a different one. It, it came out in the cycle. Uh, it's like Celine remember D. when they made the really bad Gaia's Cradle? It was that cycle. Oh, where you're you had about that? to yeah, where you had to you had to meet a condition in order to flip it permanently. Oh, that, you're talking about. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, it's I'm one, sure someone will tell that us. That one is one in a blue at the beginning of your turn. You scry one. You may put it into your graveyard, and I think if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, it flips over, and then you. Hey, I think it's like three, and you get to like look at the top four, put one into your hand. Yeah, a something non-creature, like non-land. Yeah, like something like that. This kind of fills that role where like these kind of decks for years have been looking for that a little bit of a mana sink to generate some card advantage. Yep. Where it's like you can do this at instant speed. You keep up mana for your Dovin's vetoes. <laughs> yeah. What a, what, a, what a weird one of. Yep. Like one Dovin's veto over the second force negation in a deck that's meant to go large on card advantage. Yeah, but I mean, it's an. This is an interesting list. This is one yeah. of like you look at this. This is a really weird legacy list that just looks unrefined to me, with lots of one ofs and three ofs and two ofs. Yeah, and it's the, interesting. And the big thing, the big difference to me is this list is clearly not trying to be the hyper efficient list that we see in a lot of control lists. It wants to tr- survive just long enough to outspend mm-hmm. its opponent. Like it really feels like an older control list rather than some of the ones that we've seen over the past few months. Yeah. Where they're, I mean, the ones we've seen over the past few months, other than like the whole Breacher combo, are like borderline Delver deck. Like they don't want anything more than one or two yeah. that they have to actually spend mana on. This is interesting. I'm excited to see this like show up again, hopefully. It's probably a, a lot of fun to play. This is a cool deck. Yeah. And then rounding out the top eight, we've got Red Painter. That's pretty cool. Painter coming in, the best, best Goblin deck in Legacy. Yep. So just going through it. Interesting to see the new Twin Shot Sniper in there. That got, mm-hmm. got a lot of hype from uh, Kamigawa just because the ability to basically spend two mana to bolt, or not bolt, to shock something, but uncounterable is huge. And then also just having a four mana that comes in and shocks is also good. Yeah. Do you know who's, this is dumb, uh, LSV got to 
preview this card on his podcast. Oh, did he? Like this this was their preview card and they were like, "Oh my god, they gave us the best card in the set to preview because this is a limited beast." Oh like, yeah, I was going to say is, this is a limited like not auto take, but like the problem is I guess Kamigawa limited red isn't very good, mm-hmm. but this card is just so stupidly good and limited. Yeah, I mean it comes in it's almost certainly a two for or it's at least a one for, one for one. Right. And then you've got a two three body which is very relevant on a creature with reach. Yep. So you don't have to worry about getting swarmed with a bunch of one one flyers and crap like that. Um, the other thing to keep in mind with this is with Goblin Welder, that ETB is going to be used more often. Like, yep. it's very abusable in this too. Also, an artifact. Yep. So it's you can you can channel it and then bring it back. Yeah. And then so. start yeah trading it in, in and around. So yeah, again, just Painter's one of those decks that got a huge boost from Urza Saga. And, huge. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think it's is the only Saga deck in the top eight. Wow, I think it is. It, isn't it's hilarious to me that Painter Servant is a sixty dollar, seventy five dollar card? Yeah, you got any of those you need to sell? I have one of them because they need to. They might reprint. Re, that's one of those again. Like Painter Servant is one of those that just screams secret layer to me. Oh yeah. And if you didn't see the Concordant Crossroads secret layer, you should be petrified of your like super expensive card that hasn't been printed in a long time. But there's no reason it can't be reprinted card. Yep. And and that's the thing. Painter Servant, while it is a very powerful card. The only reason it's seventy dollars or eighty dollars, whatever it is, is because it was it came out in like Shadowmore or and then it's Shadowmore. It's at the wing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's just, just it's, very low volume sets, and it's also really hard to reprint. You can't yep. just throw that in a set. Like, but that just screams secret layer to me. So, or at least I guarantee it's on the Wizards list somewhere. Again, with them printing Concordant Crossroads and Concordant Crossroads, and then three shitty lands into a forty dollars secret layer. Like they've got a list of cards that are too expensive. For better or for worse, they're solving that problem by selling basically individual cards to people. Yeah. Yep. And they're like, like, well, why would we chew up our reprint equity, throw them in, in packs when we can just sell them now? Yeah, we can literally just sell them. And that that Concordant Crossroads uh, secret layer, this, again, it's a tangent. That's just Concordant Crossroads with three junk cards yeah. thrown in. It, it's a basic land. It's one of the tri-lands that comes into play tapped. Not the triomes. Yeah. One of like, the OG like that came in like the, the Ur-Dragon. Yeah, it was like the Shards of Alara land. They just tap for one of each and they come into play tapped. No cycling, no... It's it's amazing how much worse those are than triomes. Yeah. In every capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a and ghost they, quarter. Yeah, ghost quarter. Like it comes with... I made the joke to Matt where it's like 10 cent card, 10 cent card, 10 cent card, $55 card. Yeah. Secret lair. Yep. We don't sell card. We don't sell individual cards. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, a lot of people have been saying they should do that for a long time. Um, they again, should they should do that through the stores. Correct. That's the thing with me. Just sell the like. Make the, me go through the se- store to get secret it. layer should only be pre-orderable through a store. Yeah, and then give the store their cut. Yep, hundred percent agree. So that's our top eight. So again, a fantastic looking top eight. Probably a little more combo than I would really like to see, but. At this point, it's not five Delver decks. Do not complain (laughs) about it. I'll take anything. I'm not. I'm not. Um, As far as the metagame summary as a whole goes, it doesn't look, it looks a little bit worse. Uh, We've got 21% as Blue Red Delver, seven of the top 32. We've got Ant, another four of the top 32. And then Just Guy Control is three. And then some one and twos. Um, Well, a two and then a bunch of ones. Uh, Most played cards. This is going to sound really familiar. Brainstorm. 69%, 69%, Ponder, 69%, Force of Will, 56%. That's actually a little lower than we've been seeing as far as Force of Will goes. Yes, yeah, under 60. Um, which is, to be perfectly honest, that's probably why your combo is a little bit higher this week. Mm-hmm. If only if only half of your decks are <laughs> are running yep. Force of Will, you got a solid chance of sticking that uh, Grizzlebrand on turn one. Uh, then we've got Lotus Petal and Expressive Iteration. 
Top Creatures, no surprise, Murktide, Delver, DRC, Grizzlebrand, Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage is a little Grizzlebrand surprised. and Snapcaster. Grizzlebrand yeah. is less surprising. Uh, Snapcaster is very surprising. Yeah, the surprising. top three is the no surprise. But yeah, Grizzlebrand and Snapcaster are kind of interesting pickups in the top four and five spot. Yep, especially Snap. Like, we've, like, Grizzlebrand's been, like, Reanimator's been doing yep. re- reasonably well. It's unusual to see him at this high, yeah. uh, this many copies, but, like, Snapcaster Mage hasn't been on anybody's radar for a while, so... And then top spells, same thing. Brainstorm, Ponder, Force Will, Lotus Petal, and Expressive Iteration. So like I said, we have a bit of an announcement uh, before we move on to Modern this week. The Legacy metagame has been so bad for so long. uh, The entirety of our podcast. And the reason we started our podcast was because the Legacy metagame was so bad. We're probably going to take a break from talking about Legacy every week. It's probably going to bump to more of a once in a while, once in a month. Big news, big events. Big news thing. Um... I am pretty active on a couple social media platforms. I shouldn't say pretty active. Semi-regularly, I like to post my takes on social media platforms in terms of like, hey, maybe maybe we should look at banning cantrips. Maybe we should look at addressing some of the core fundamental problems. Maybe we should talk about the issues. And the vibe I'm getting from a lot of the vocal people about are on legacy chats, and there's plenty of people that aren't like this, but the vibe I'm getting is they're, people are happy with this. People are like, it's, and I... <laughs> It could just be that people are tired of hearing you complain, and so they just yell at anyone complaining for anything. But mm-hmm. whenever I post uh, uh, anything about, like, with numbers or, like, hey, this percentage, that percentage, this ratio, that ratio, I get a lot of people basically saying, in either polite words or rude words, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, I've even gone so far as, to, or as people have gone so far as to say they like it like this. This is a good thing. Like, they're happy Delver is so relevant. I've heard people say that it's way easier to brew decks when you have one deck that's 40% of the metagame or 25% of the metagame. So the crackpot theory I have come up with is the people currently interacting with legacy content through, like, Reddit or Facebook are people that like this and are thus still here. And everyone that doesn't like it left. Well, and that, uh, just to back that up, that's what we saw in, like, in the year, five or six months leading up to the Ragavan ban, was there were so few people sticking around in Legacy that the tournaments were barely firing. Yeah. Now, they have tweaked a little bit of stuff, and obviously there's a little bit more engagement going on, but how a non-zero number of the people who left Legacy are gone yeah they will never come back and they will never play legacy yeah, people again. people sell people sell collections and whatnot but like i said it seems like the people that are just over um delver owning legacy for the last I mean, basically the last, since it's been printed i mean they the, you could say the last seven months like an iron fist or nine yeah. months and then the last like four years in general like it seems like those people either left legacy entirely or left the legacy discussion and what we have left is a large group of people that are in an echo chamber of this is fine. Stop complaining about it. Stop bitching. So, and that's our favorite thing to do. It's our favorite thing to do. <laughs> We're gonna take a break because it's just like I don't enjoy this this uh, meta game. I don't enjoy talking about it that much. Like every single week, we're just talking about Delver being like 20%, 25% on Sat. Like so, it's 22% on Sunday. Saturday was like 34% yeah. Delver. Like. This isn't a once in a blue moon thing where it's like, oh my god, Delver had a huge week or a huge month. It's twenty to thirty percent is a reasonable guess. Like next week, I'm guessing twenty six percent. Yeah, seems reasonable. So we're gonna take a break. Uh, we're gonna probably pump over and start talking about Pioneer. 
the announcement of the Pro Tour got me really into Pioneer. I've played a lot of matches. I'm really enjoying it. I haven't gotten to grind as much because I've been very busy because somebody keeps giving me a lot of work between the podcast and work and everything else. But that's okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but I, I'm enjoying it a lot. So with it being the new, like, relevant Pro Tour format, we'll probably start talking a little bit more about it. I need to pick up some good content creators to start watching and basically mooch off of their knowledge and try and like help me learn the format faster. I need to start playing more, kind of like I do with Modern. I need to learn the format so we can start talking about it a little more. But be prepared in the coming weeks, months, many episodes that we'll start looking a little more at Pioneer and probably a little more at Commander 2, just because Commander is like a really good all-around. People love Commander. Yep, we love Commander. We love Commander. Uh I look forward to, if we were to talk talking about Commander, to helping people level up their Commander. Mm-hmm. I really like trying to help people uh, play maybe more tuned decks, better decks. Like, in my opinion, it's very easy to build a bad Commander deck that's fun. Like, you literally say, I want to build all the rats. And you just put rats in. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I want to build all the decks. I want to build a Stephen Green deck where it's people sitting in chairs. Yeah. That's a fun deck. That's mm-hmm. I want to build a Goad deck where all it does is Goad. But if you want to, like, I want to help people take a step or two up from that and build slightly better decks, more tuned decks. Well, more... And you can still stick with themes. So like like yeah, what can... I do is I go, I want to build a rat deck, but I'm going to make the best rat deck I can. Yeah. Without being CDH. But yeah. like like just like I want to make a good tuned rat deck. Like what at what point do I start cutting generic three mana two two rat with menace for some good token producer or some mm-hmm. Spe- specific removal spell or, or tutor spell or whatever. So yeah. we might start doing some of that. Maybe maybe designing up some EDH decks, talking about EDH, core fundamentals, heuristics, stuff like that. So now, uh, before we... Uh, this is my last thing I say on this, and I'll give it over to Matt, and then we'll go to Modern. If you hate this decision, just tell us. Like if it if it really matters a lot to the community that we keep talking about Legacy every week, we will. Yep. I don't I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. And if you guys really enjoy it, we'll gladly do it. I mean, I'll make Matt do it. I don't know if he'll gladly do it, but I'll do it. But we'd like to branch off into something a little more palatable, at least until they ideally make some real changes to the format of Legacy. And that's the thing. Like, I don't want to stop talking about Legacy, but we're 34, 35 episodes in. I think we've missed one week. Mm -hmm. And every single episode has just been dominated, as far as the Legacy content goes, has just been dominated by Blue Red Delver. If... If they come out and fundamentally change it, that's fine. But like Jake and I have talked about, the format needs more changes than just banning the current broken threat from the most recent printed set. Six um, months after you should have banned it anyway. And that's the thing is like if that would if that was going to be their philosophy, one or two months in, the cards need to go. Yeah. It's we're we're pushing a year where this format, in my opinion, has been borderline unplayable. I know plenty of people have been having plenty of fun. I've even gone to tournaments myself in this format and had a good time. But this isn't how it should be, and there's no signs of changing. So obviously we'll cover any legacy news. Um, We'll still probably look at big tournaments. But going over these weekly challenges where it's just the same thing week after week, just honestly it feels feels like we're wasting our time and yours. Like I look forward to every week. In a sense, I like I like helping people level up a little, and like I want you to do better in your challenges or do better at your tournament. I want you to like be prepared for the meta game, and if you don't be prepared for the meta game, play Delver or play a deck that's good against Delver, like yeah. play Selesnya Depths or play Lands or play Eight Cast, and there you go. Yep, you're good for the next six months if they don't ban a card. Yeah, and like there's no meta game tweaking. There's no like, what do I put in my sideboard? Build your sideboard for Delver and decks good against Delver, and you'll probably do pretty good. Yeah, so. 
So it's just it's just not terribly interesting to talk about anymore. No. And it's probably not terribly interesting to listen to. So, like we said, we're going to pivot a little bit. And that's not to say we will never talk about Legacy again or come back to it at some point. But until until we see something like actually change, I don't see any reason why we should continue to talk about it. Not on a hyper-regular basis. Right. Good. Unless if, if if the community at large wants to reach out and politely or di- or unpolitely tell us they like it, then yeah, I, I'll, okay. I'll consider. I'm thoroughly looking forward to getting flamed on the internet. It's um, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing's a oh, joke. <laughs> all I do is get flamed on the internet. <laughs> I know. Every time I post something where it's like, hey, I, I literally put a thing on leaving a legacy. If you guys listen to the podcast, I'm Jake on leaving a legacy Facebook group where I'm like, hey, like force of wills in like sixty to eighty percent of decks. Like, do we recognize that legacy might have a problem? And everyone's like, oh, so you want to ban Force of Will? And it's like, no, but I think Force of Will... I'm, I, I couldn't have there. Force of Will is a really good indicator card for a problem. Because do you put Force of Will in a deck, Matt? Like, you just make a deck and put Force of Will in. Right. Or do you put Force of Will in a deck that's full of blue cards? And when I mean full, I mean like... Chalked full. You have to have a ton of blue cards to meet the criteria. To, so, and it's always, it's, it starts off with Ponder and Brainstorm. And then usually Expressive Iteration at the very minimum. Yep. But, like, you're guaranteed to be running at least four, four Brainstorm and three Ponder in most any deck that's running Force of Will. Except for Merfolk. That one's different. But we're not talking about well, that. Well, and even, I think, uh, eight casts runs Force of Wills, at least in the side, sometimes in the main, depending a on lot the particular the pilot. Main. So, like, if you're already dead, but, yeah, like, eight but cast is the exception, not the rule. What I'm saying is, like, I bring up Force of Will, because, no, we shouldn't ban Force of Will. Legacy is garbage if we ban Force of Will. Or, like we talked about, either ban Force of Will and 15 other cards... Or you don't ban Force of Will. Yeah. But Force of Will is a good indicator card because Force of Will doesn't show up on its own. Force of Will shows up with the cantrips and these hyper consistent cards that just make the uh, these these hyper efficient blue threats. These is bullshit. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, like every time I make a post where it's like, hey, like, because like now that I look at the numbers every week, I feel confident in making statements where it's like, this is kind of a problem, and everyone's like, shut up, nerd. You don't know your talk. Because what I get a lot of is. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's fine. I enjoy playing it. I my local meta is great. I don't think that card's a problem. And it's like I'll I'll put up where it's like, guys, brainstorms in like 70 percent of decks. And what I always get is a couple people being like, I don't think that. Yeah. And it's like I don't care what you think. You're wrong. That's the number. Well, and a perfect example of this. So we just talked about how great the top or, eight looked. I get a lot of I feels. Yeah. I feel like that's okay. Well, I, we can't argue feels because I cannot argue that you feel wrong, but the number is a problem. So one, first was reanimator. Second, brainstorm deck. Third, brainstorm deck. Fourth, brainstorm deck. Fifth, brainstorm deck. Sixth, brainstorm deck. Seventh, brainstorm deck. Like that's uh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about what is, quote, the best looking top eight we've seen in a while yep. and six out of the eight run the same twelve cards, and we're minimum. still not even on ban. We're not even on ban brainstorm. No, we're on ban ponder. We're on. We're on. You don't get to run ponder. You run preordain. The other. Oh, I uh, credit to. I can't remember who it was. Um, uh, preordain's not limited or not yeah, restricted. I saw that. I was totally wrong on that. So I to correct myself. I was. I thought it was, but I'm wrong. Yeah. Preordain is not restricted in vintage. But yeah, you don't get to run ponder. You run the slightly worse version. Preordain. Like again, everyone acts like if you, dear God, talk about banning ponder. What we just don't get candors anymore. Yes. You get kind of worse cantrips. To be perfectly honest, yes. Like, the rest of the Magic community has learned how to play with mediocre or no cantrips. Yeah. And I'm gi- I'm still giving you way better cantrips I know. than that. I know. <laughs> but it's heresy. It's heresy to mention not being able to play with Ponder. But yeah. whatever. So, ranting aside, that's, that's our little announcement. Yep. So, over to Modern this week. 
we've got a 30K to talk about. So this is huge. Um, so Dallas SCG happened over the weekend, and they hosted a modern 10K on Sunday and a modern 30K two-day event. So I want to talk about that because that's just such a huge event. So oh, yeah. The way that was structured was uh, day one was eight rounds of Swiss, and I think it'd have 15 points or more to qualify for day two. Day two was, I think, five rounds of Swiss, and then it cut to top 12. So we'll go through the quick, the top 12 decks really quick. Spoiler alert, there's nothing particularly crazy in here. This is the same like four or five decks we've been seeing. The modern format has really congealed around like three archetypes, three arc decks, and like like four or five like actual just decks, which is kind of shitty, but also modern is still a lot of fun. And the cool thing about it, I saw someone put on Twitter, it was really cool. They were like, like if mo- like modern is basically like like three or four decks, and none of them are good at two uh, are good against even two of the other decks. Like mm-hmm. like no one deck is good at even is has a good matchup against even two of the top decks. So like there's just really you have a rock paper scissors very rock paper scissors Spock. where it's like all lo- like it, a lot of these decks fight each other very well and it's very all over the place. So first place Travis Brown bringing it home with Azorius Hammer Time. Which is awesome. That's fucking amazing. Way to way to go, Travis Brown. It's kind of cool to see like the Azorius Hammer Time list come in and immediately become the go-to list. Like we shifted off of Orchov so quickly once we lost Luris. In this list, we've got the Nettle Cyst and the Cauldra Complete rounding out the um, Stoneforge Mystic package. That's like the only thing that like changes a lot. Mm-hmm. We do have the Paradise Mantle to go with um, Urza Saga, which is kind of weird. Like, why do you think? Paradise Mantle goes with Urza Saga better than Springleaf from like it just seems I I, I was th- I was thinking about it again afterwards like I don't I I still don't think it's better than Springleaf drum unless you're fighting against like Surgicals or something weird like that because like they're both fetchable with Urza Saga um, Paradise Mantle is arguably worse because it requires the creature to not have summoning sickness mm-hmm. but having more zero drop artifacts is maybe relevant it's probably that and just as a quick a few percentage points in his favor. Uh, you can get it with Steel Shaper's gift as well. I don't uh, know how yes. often you're going to well, do that. I guess you can also get it with Stoneforge Mystic. Like, it, it, it is it is more tutorable. Yeah. So that's so a good it, reason. It's just slightly better in some categories, slightly worse in others. Yeah. Not, but this deck isn't trying to be super explosive with, like, when Affinity runs Springleaf Drum, it's trying to flood its, like, empty its hand on turn one. This is just trying to, to me... You wouldn't even, and for the longest time, you didn't see Paradise Mantle. It's not like spicy, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's recent I, that it's in a lot. I would of argue list. That, that like this deck, I'm not like flight, flood its hand, but it is trying to win on like turn two or three. Yeah, but, like it is trying to go explosive, but it's not trying to do that through Paradise Mantle. No, yeah, it's not it, abusing Paradise. Yeah, Mantle. Paradise Mantle. If you didn't have Urza Saga, I don't think would even be in the deck. I think it's just in there so that you, it, you don't lose the, it negates the mana disadvantage. Oh, yeah, you lose I, I can see that. I, that's uh, that's my opinion. I could be Maybe. totally wrong. We're seeing it a bunch, so there's got to be yeah. a, a very good reason. Um, other than that, that's a pretty standard list, like four Sentinel, a bunch of Thopters and Mem Knights, the four Paladins, three Giver of Runes. There's that those like two or three flex slots in there. The Giver of Runes makes a lot of sense. And then a one Reality Chip. Sideboard doesn't look anything particularly interesting. We do have that Lavinia I keep talking about. Yep, Azorius three Renegade. of them, too. They went hard on that. I think it's a really good card. If you're not going to be planning on casting spells for free, I think it's a good card, especially when you fold so hard to Solitude. Like, I mean, what feels worse than being like, <laughs> hammer, hammer, attack for lethal, solitude. Yeah, but if you run Lavinia, that's just a, that's a non-bow with your Paradise Mantle. <laughs> that is true. Although I'm pretty sure you were never, ca- uh, no, no, it's not. In theory, it could be. Fire design, buddy. Oh, God. I forgot cards don't actually affect you. Opponent. Good Lord. 
No, you can run Lavinia and run Solitude. It's fine. I yeah. hate that. Yeah. Like uh, that. To, for respect, Ugh. we're also, I'm going to run through the top 12 decks since the top, it was a cut to top 12. So yeah. we'll run through the 12 decks pretty quickly. And we're already over an hour. So we're going to do it quickly. Just going to have to cut all that Elden Ring content. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to happen. I enjoy talking about Elden Ring a lot. Second place was Four Color Elementals. Um, this is the Risen Reef Elemental list with Omnaths, Fury, Solitudes, and one Subtlety, which is pretty cool. Single Eternal Witness, Four Ephemerates, uh, Four Eldam Recall, The Ramp, and Fixing with Abundant Growth Utopia Sprawl, Eight Planeswalkers. Pretty pretty stock standard list we've seen for these elemental lists. Third place was a Crashcade Rhinos list. You heard it once, heard it a thousand times. It's Crashcade. It's yep. nothing costs less than three except for Crashcade, or except for uh, Crashing Footfalls. Um, this is there is a little bit of spice in these lists. They I've, I've I was I did watch some of the coverage that uh, uh, they did with uh, they had Jarvis and Reed Duke doing live commentary. It was like a privately hosted thing. Mm-hmm. I believe Honorog Doss did it. It was on his channel. But they call this Charming uh, Rhinos because it runs for Archmage's Charm. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good card. Like That makes sense to me. Like You can run it. It's three. It's a good counter spell if you're in the slow part of the game where you're not comboing off. It's a good card draw spell. Yep. And the, the, uh, the rest of the cards in the deck function kind of like charms. I mean, it, you could almost call, the, call this Charm Tribal instead. Mm-hmm. They're just like Split cards or cards that like like Bone yeah. Crusher Giant, who's it's a chalk and then it's a creature yep. and stuff yeah, you got, like I that. Mean, so Bone Crusher Giant, Brazen Borrower, Archmage's Charm, Cryptic Command, Dead and Gone, and Fire and Ice all have multi-use capability. Yeah, although Dead and Dead and Gone's kind of a little extreme, but like they all have that that, that splitness to them where you can do multiple things with them. Fourth place is Jund. Kind of cool to see Jund like who, Jund them like, out, boys. E- even though Jund shows up in, in our modern metagame relatively, kind of relatively commonly, like it's 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 that like solid tier two and a half tier two where like you see it once a month maybe. So four Ragavan, four DRC, one Dark Confidant, four Goif, and one Tireless Tracker. You've got Liliana of the Veil making her official like legit tournament comeback after a long time in the binder. Four Ren and six. And like the 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 black and red control elements you expect to see with Inquisition, Thought Seize, Unholy Heat, Fatal Push, and then um, some good targets for your Urza Saga with like the Spell Bombs, Shadow Spear, Mistress Bobble. Yep. Fifth place is another Crashcade list. Uh, this one, however, is not Charming Footfalls, so we don't have we we basically lose the charms. Um, we pick up like a Prismari Command. Again, another effectively a charm. Another charm. Yep. We pick up, um, so we go like up. We go up on the brazen borrowers. We go up on the bone crusher giants. We basically go up on more answers and threats, and uh, down on the charms. That's a pretty. I love that sideboard. That's the cleanest sideboard you'll probably see all day. Three blood moon, four endurance, four mystical dispute, four force of vigor. Yep. This guy is not fucking around. Yep. <laughs> Just like I'm gonna, I know the decks I want to beat, and I need yep. the, these cards I mean, to do it. Blood Moon is just such good punish for a lot of decks. Endurance is again, you don't just fold to Reanimator or uh, the other Crashcade deck, yep. the other Cascade deck, kind, essentially. Yep. Mystical Dispute because you just lose to Teferi, and Force of Vigor because you just lose to things like Chalice. And, Chalice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then if you'll notice, none of these cost anything they don't cost less than three yep. like they you also have to you don't get That's, to throw in a bunch of one and two yeah, you, you, you can't ruin, has, you can't ruin your plan yep you cannot side into anything that would just hit off a cascade next up we've got another azorius hammer list uh this looks almost identical like these people might have actually shared 
there's it's where uh, no paradise. There's mantle. no paradise man. <laughs> we have three spring leaf drum no paradise mantle. Other than that, like I mean, like three giver of runes, one reality chip, three mem knight, three ornithopter, like almost the exact same. Steel shaper's gift. Steel shaper's gift in the main. Livinny in the side. Yep. Yeah. Seventh place was an Azorius control list. So this is that. Uh, it's the Kahira because it runs four solitudes as only creatures, and your super friends deck after that. So a Narset. Three fairy, Jace, the Wandering Emperor, and five fairy, and then just control, 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 removal, removal, counterspell, counterspell, board wipes, chalices. This guy did not splash into any other color. Nope. There's the only other pips are green from fracturing gusk, which can be cast on for three white. Yeah, that's five mana. It's two, and it's Celestia hybrid, but it's two white, white, white in this list, and it's destroy all artifacts and enchantments. You gain two life for each. But a pretty cool, but pretty standard control list. Eighth place is another four-color blink list. This one is a little different than the Elementals list because we're not running Risen Reef, so we're not, like, piling as hard onto the Elemental synergies. You do still have four Solitude and two Fury and four Omnath, but after that, you still you get the... Uh, you're on four Ren and six, four Teferi, and two Teferi of Hero Dominaria. So you're kind of taking some of those Elemental cards out, putting some more Planeswalkers in, and then things like Force Negation, Counterspell, Iteration, yeah, some controlling elements in the main. And you're cutting the Ephemerates as well. Yep, the Ephemerates leave. You're not really leaning on the value plan as much. Ephemerate, well, it is really good it doesn't it does doesn't give you the value like you get when you have risen reef even though i think ephemerate does warn a spot in these decks when you have i mean fury and solitude like are already almost card neutral or card positive sometimes and then ephemerate just goes bananas so if you since you brought that up what would you cut in order to put two like one or two ephemerates in here i'm going to put you on the spot so an 80 card list we've got 30 lands i would cut omnath i would cut at least one omnath um, I think four, it's, it's hard to say, it's an 80 card list, but I think four Omnath is fine to cut. The Ice Fang, I don't know what the Ice Fang is doing without ways to flicker it. I mean, a two, don't get me wrong, a two mana, one, one draw card that will probably have Death Touch is okay, but like, what is it blocking really well? I think probably Murktide Regent is probably the biggest thing that's in there for. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Um, yeah, I, I'd probably cut, I would probably cut one Omnath and maybe one Ice Fang or maybe one Omnath and, you yeah, know, it's, I, it's tough. No, I wasn't, it wasn't a gotcha. I was just kind of curious um, to see your thinking behind it. I'd, I'd go down on Omnath. That's a, Omnath isn't necessarily win more, but it's really close where like, the card does a lot, but you've got, when you've got four pips and it resolves, you're already in a, probably a pretty good spot and it, and it resolves and it survives such that you can get the extra land drop off of it. Like, a lot of things are going in your favor, um, whereas, like, the Solitude or the Fury with the Ephemerate allows you to play catch-up really well. Now, and the good argument against that is got to win the game at some point, and Omnath can help you win the game just by flooding the board with uh, things because you get that doubling of your mana. So, I'm not sure. I said, probably an Omnath, maybe an Ice Fang, although, in fairness, we did have 10% of the meta be Murktide, so that might have been the correct meta call. And maybe, maybe those Ice Fangs are what really pulled into the finish line to help fight those Murktide battles. But that's where I would start. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where the mana base even looks like on a Yorion deck. I don't know if 30 is appropriate. I have no idea, actually. Don't build decks based on what I said. The, the four-color elementals got 30 as well, so, like, it's probably not far off. Yeah. Obviously, they're not going to have the exact same mana base, yeah. but they're going to be approximately yep. similar. So we'll do a couple more, because I said top 12. If you, if you cut to 12, you did pretty good. Ninth place was another, was another Jund list. This is an Omnath Jund list, which is kind of cool. But you've got... Uh, so you get to pick up four Ice Fang Coatl, four Omnath in this one. Like, actually, I shouldn't say pick up. This is... This just looks like an Omnath. This is more of an Omnath list. Oh, is this not Jund? No, it's just mislabeled. Oh, it's mislabeled. Okay, okay, okay. 
So this isn't this is a, this is a five color Omnath list um, with four Solitude, two Fury, four Omnath, Ice Fangs. Do get some Ragavans in here. It's a little different. Because why not? Because why not? That <laughs> why card's not amazing. Run probably one of uh, the like, top ten creatures ever printed. Like so, we, we go down on the Utopia. We, we we cut the Utopia sprawls for Ragavans. It looks like. Well, that's fair. That's, that's they do a similar thing. Yep, and... it, yeah, they they net mana in a very similar way. Other than that, it looks pretty similar. Like they use some one offs like Memory Deluge, some March of Otherworldly Lights, but pretty similar. Tenth place is their first. Is it Murktide list? DRC Ragavan Murktide, full four ofs. Pretty standard spell suite with considers, bolts, pierces, heats, counterspells, iterations, and charms. Um, almost almost stock what we've seen yeah. uh, from the from the previous months. Four Mishra's Bobble. I think I'm used to seeing closer to two, so that's kind of, that's a little spicy, but that's really helped turn on those DRCs a lot faster and get through your deck a little faster. Eleventh place is another Yorion Blink list. This one still not running the Risen Reef, so we can uh, we can confirm that if you run Risen Reef in your Yorion deck, it gets better. Yep, it gets at least like four or five slots better. It did once, so yeah, that's that, that, absolutely it's all the data I need. Matt Delver did not own the top eight this week. <laughs> Hey, it, this one's got 31 lands, Jake. We were wrong. It's yeah. A- <laughs> so he's already low on lands. I don't I don't know what you cut for ephemerate. Maybe the card does have to go. Well, this guy's got the two ephemerates too. So uh, let's see what he I mean like Well, this deck this list is just straight up a little different it's than a little the different. other one. It yeah. is running so it's only running one, uh, one fury instead of two, so trimming on the furies. And maybe it makes sense to trim down one or two fury or one or two solitude because the two for one potential is high there when you're when you're committing so hard into that with ephemerate like you, you where you, you may have been card out. neutral, now you're approaching that blowout territory where now you're really getting kind of punished. So that might be why. But yeah, two two El- that's what he cut two Eladomri call for two ephemerate. So he just goes down on the Eladomri's call up on the ephemerates, and I'm sure other things change as well. One supreme verdict. I think it's a really good card to be putting in your even in your modern boards these days when you just need to get the get the get the get the field cleared. And lastly, we'll talk about 12th place, another Is It Merktide list. Uh, we do have two Season Pyromancer, other than, so we have the DRC Ragavan Merktide, and then two Season Pyromancers. Spell Suite, uh, the contents are the same. The numbers are obviously going to be changed up a little bit. And this is a Blood Moon. We do have one Blood Moon in the main. So, And I've... a Maximize Velocity. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it gives a creature plus one, plus one, and haste. Oh, and I totally jump missed that. It. Yeah. <laughs> So is that just to like? That's got to just be to dumb Merktide? people with Merktide. Yeah, like to I, slam Merktide on like turn four. Yeah, and, and then I, be like, take eight. Yeah, just because I mean, if you, that's one mana for eight damage. Wow, and you get to you get you, to do it twice. If you cast it from your graveyard, your Merktide gets bigger. Yeah, because it leaves the graveyard mm-hmm. to get cast. Yeah, it's that's kind of cool. That's some cool spice. That's a cool little thing. That yeah, just to just kind of gotcha people with your Merktides to uh-huh. be like, because like you can see that Merktide coming down. I've got a terminate in hand. Oh, it wouldn't be a term. I, I've got an answer for it. And, uh, well, you're taking 10 first. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All righty. Uh, metagame summary. So we had 909 players in this 30K, which to 30k kind of makes sense but that's yep. crazy that we had almost a thousand people playing in this so tons of credit or tons of kudos to everybody that showed up and did well extra credit to travis brown for navigating just a incredibly yeah, difficult tournament yeah winning a 30k is a huge yeah. deal so 10 percent of our meta with 93 decks was murktide second place eight and a half percent burn yeah that's pretty cool that's, burn really showed up yep well now, they, i didn't didn't do super well in the top eight but like we do have like in 13th we had a mono red prowess um, like losing, what's it called? Luris. Luris really kind of hit the Boros burn lists. Like, oh. such we haven't seen them in a while, but it's clear that people still have their burn lists and they're still trying to make it work. Well, and it, burn is kind of the 
death and taxes of modern yeah or burn or you know what i mean like it's just that cheap deck that like for a couple hundred bucks you can go to a tournament play in the tournament and have a good time yep and then you know it is good enough yeah for sure it used to be top tier and now it's we're still in that good enough territory that's again one of the casualties of the lures band was burn gets a lot of decks like things like murktide and even grixis crashcade well crashcade didn't use lures obviously hammer time like these decks didn't really get much worse burn got worse burn got scales got worse yep so uh, sorry then next we've got five and a half percent amulet titan five percent crashing footfalls 5% 5% hammer time. Man, this is so wide. 4.5% death uh, Death shadow. That's that Grixis death shadow list. 4.5% Azorius control. We're still in the fours, guys. 4% uh, five color Omnath. 4% blink. 4% blue living end. 4% Yogmoth. Like, this is such a wide metagame. Now, in fairness, there's a thousand decks that showed up yeah. or near, but like, man, it's a wide. That's wide. Most played cards. We don't get that, do we? Oh, we do. Yeah, we do. Because yep. we, we, deck lists are published. So, most played cards in this. First place in 38% of decks, Lightning Bolt. Second place, Ragavan. Third place, Counterspell. Fourth place, Expressive Iteration. Fifth place, Prismatic Ending. Top creatures, Ragavan, Endurance. DRC, Solitude, and Murktide. Nothing new there. And top spells, Lightning Bolt, Counterspell, Expressive Iteration, Prismatic Ending, and Teferi Time Raveler. Alrighty, so we're getting a little long in the episode this week. Uh, we did actually have a lot to talk about in Legacy, even though it's like the metagame as a whole is still pretty bad. But the top eight was pretty cool, so it's fun to talk about those. And then having 12 decks to run through quickly is still faster, or still takes longer than even going through a quick top eight. So Matt, was there anything you want to talk about before we wrap this episode up moving forward? Before I kind of get into our end credits. We don't have a third topic this week. We kind of... Just, again, like, the only thing I would say is we look at other formats. Like, look at Modern. And the most played deck... I don't really count Burn. So you got, like... So if you were to divide those up, the numbers would change a little bit. But, I mean, 10% is one deck. And that's... I don't understand why that's too much to ask. Yeah, I don't don't think it is. That's all I would say. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm To be perfectly honest, I'm bored just... Not talking about magic, but just rehashing the same stuff. Like everybody knows our opinion on this, but it's mm-hmm. just that's just where we sit. So I'm so, excited to talk about Pioneer and in, EDH going forward. In fairness, if you hop over to like the Sunday challenge, you were looking at like 19% Mark Tide, but if you go to the Saturday challenge, you're looking at 12% Mark Tide. Like those numbers are so much more variable. Even though you do have some days where like we've seen Hammer Time around 20%, we've seen Mark Tide around 20%. Um, but they, it's it's just fluctuates so much more between different decks and different numbers. And the big thing with me, as far as those, as far as that goes, especially online. That is a consequence of banning. That is a direct consequence of banning, Loris. Because mm-hmm. online, I'd be willing to bet not every single one, but a lot of Grixis Death Shadow players just pivoted straight into Murktide once Loris was banned. Because, yeah. I mean... There's not as much pulling you towards Black and right. Death Shadow. Yep. So just, okay, well, I'm going to run the similar uh, threat suite, yep. replace Kroxa with Murktide, and okay, I cut, I cut the Black, but now I have a much more straightforward game plan. I get to be far more consistent with my mana. I can't grind as well, but who needs to grind when you've got an 8-8 flyer? Exactly. So, like, I that's that's one of the things we had talked about, why we didn't want to ban Luris, regardless of, like, the other things, is we had this great Jenga pile being built of Modern, and somebody took out the wrong piece, and now you have 10 or 15 or even 20% as one deck. Yep. So, again, that's it's not the end of the world. Modern's yeah. still way more diverse than Legacy, and the play patterns are probably far more enjoyable for the most part. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm primarily, I'm just excited to talk about Pioneer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very excited to talk about EDH once was, we get Wasn't going. there a Pioneer deck you were thinking about picking up? There's a couple different ones. So I maybe there, next, there maybe is like week? a, a red-blue something similar to kind of like the modern Merktide lists. Uh-huh. Just basically like red-blue aggro because that's the thing. I talk about I shit on Blue Red Delver and Legacy all the time. That is my second deck. Yeah. Like I love that style of play. I love that like especially the way it used to be where it was very much kind of protect the queen like I'm going to stick a Delver mm-hmm. or if you're playing like Rug Delver where you like get a uh, Nimble Mongoose or a Tarmogoyf and or try an to per- Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or an Uro like <laughs> yeah. But you know before a lot of these super broken threats were printed like stick something efficient early and protect that and ride that mm-hmm. threat out and then one of my favorite things to do if we're not talking about elves where I'm like chaining with glimpse or like natural ordering for 80 mm-hmm. is playing a game and ripping that lightning bolt off the top and winning with it. That is some of the <laughs> most exciting magic. And that's one of my favorite things about the way blue red Delver used to play yeah. is that's what the deck was designed to do. There- it was, I'm going to get you to three and we're going to sit here and I'm going to draw a lightning bolt. Eventually. That was a lot of and our games. And it well, and it's, it's very tense situation because it puts you on a clock. You have to now do things. You're limited in what you can do because you don't want to spend your last. Like if I can, you know, you got to. Well, you it, can't th- fetch now. Like there's just weird things the, to do. The difference between three life and four life is, is huge. huge. Yeah. So if I can get you to four, now you don't yeah. get to force of will or fetch anymore. Yeah. Like those are that's amazing gameplay. Now it's I need to get you to eight. Mm-hmm. Cool. Eat a Merktide. So I'd be that's probably the deck I'd be most interested in playing. Um, if we're going with a budget one, it'd probably be like fairies. The yeah. funny thing is I actually probably would enjoy playing yours, the uh, hidden strings, the lotus field yep. combo. Um it's fun. The, you should you should get a you should get a proxy deck built up and we'll start yeah. smashing decks against each other. But that that's probably where I would lean. Like, at least just to figure out what you might want to play. Yeah. So um and like I said, I, I love EDH. I always have. I love yeah. the social aspect of it. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind with EDH, just so you know, uh, I would highly recommend you never play EDH with strangers. Uh, <laughs> D&D is like EDH is Magic's D&D. Mm-hmm. It is a social experience primarily. You can play competitively. And that's the only way I would play with strangers yeah. is if we were we sat down. If I sat down with three strangers, it would be you understand we're playing to win here, right? Because yep. I don't want to hear, oh, you counterspelled my stuff. I'm not going to play with you anymore. I'm not interested in that type of gameplay experience. But when four friends sit down to play a game of EDH, that to me is magic at its finest. Oh, yeah. When uh, when the family gathering came down and we played EDH, we were fucking howling, laughing. Yep. It's just stupid stuff. Yep. Like oh. like when like when you let your friends miss triggers all day and just get their triggers, that's fine. And then someone doesn't let you get your trigger you miss because it's fucking funny, right? Yep. When you didn't draw your card two turns in a row, but I let you do it, and then well, no, Jake, you can't do that. I don't think it's gonna be okay. Yep. That's exactly what it that's is. Exactly what it is. And and and, and many laughs ensued. Yes. And some, so, well, to be fair, if you're not willing to get a little salty, you probably don't care about the game enough. Yeah. Like. I I don't like salt, but I like like if you don't care enough to be upset when you lose a little bit, yeah. Then what are we doing? Here? You should be trying to win. You should be trying to win. You should be annoyed when you lose. Yeah, Joe. You can be a good loser. Like you, you don't have to be an asshole. Playing your playing your group hug deck. Hey, he got his win with I the guess. approach the second son. I mean, he just yeah. kept doing it until he got his win. So 
And to be fair, I enjoyed those games. Like, they're wacky. Yeah. But those, that, like, you have to understand that that's what a group, hack, group hug deck does, is it makes the game wacky. Those games feel very much like unhinged games. Yep. Or like the uns... Like, playing with a group hug deck, a decent group hug deck, and he, he has a pretty good group hug deck. It does its group hug thing. Built by me. Um, it's It feels very un-magic, because yes. uh-huh. it's a lot of things. That's as close to an unset well, as we I were talking get. about, where it's like, all right, Matt... It's your turn. Don't miss your three or four upkeep <laughs> triggers from Joe. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, keep an eye out next week, this weekend. So if this comes out on Thursday, I think Saturday, we're actually heading down. We're going to do a draft with a family yep. gathering, and we'll be recording an episode with them. And it's probably going to be a shit show, because I think I was talking to Derek, and we're going to have between six and eight people trying to talk on one podcast. So we'd take all of our mics. Like I told him, like we're we have to, we're bringing our four, and he still has to find another one. Wow! Like I'm gonna bring my computer. I might bring your computer. We might bring your computer, and like we might be recording on everybody's computer. And then thankfully, Derek's gonna be the one mushing all this together into one. Yeah, episode. I was gonna say, like it sounds like the best way to do that would be having as many audio tracks as you could, so you could eliminate the echo. And then, if in theory, if you could eliminate the echo, and then like sync them all up yeah that's i do not envy derek for trying to resolve this because i've mixed three or four a couple times and it's rough yeah and that's why me and joe are just sitting in the back with our feet up looking at jake and derek going it's good to be the talent yeah we have in my trailer a little talented (laughs) of a stretch we have an entirely separate text chat of me and him where we talk about editing stuff and software and get tips and tricks i didn't say i was talented i said i was the talent oh okay 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 (laughs) There's a huge difference. <laughs> Alrighty, Matt. Was there anything you want to talk about before I wrap us up today? No, that's that should be right. it. Yeah, Look keep, forward to keep an eye out, guys. Pioneer. Uh, that's gonna be a little longer coming because I got to learn the meta game a little bit. I don't necessarily become an expert, but I don't want to show up next week and be like, "All right, guys, I played 30 matches of uh, Pioneer. Here's what to do." I, I yep. like to, I, try, I try to learn a little bit better. But, I might I might dip my well, toes. How we should start is just talking about Pioneer, going over the yeah. meta games, trying to figure out. So what you're gonna get next week is you're gonna see. So, like, when we started this podcast, I had been playing Legacy for years. I already had several. Like, I won a 1K. I top-aided two others, including mm-hmm. a top four. Like, like i done well enough that I feel like I can talk about it. You're going to get to see me muddle through a format that yeah. I've never played and a we'll, single game we'll be We'll be learning the decks and learning what's yep. normal. So and you'll be, you'll you the, guys can help me pick out a deck. You get to come and learn with us. But if you want to email us about leaving... Uh, or I should say leaving. We're but leaving a legacy. legacy. <laughs> no, instead of stepping away from legacy a little bit or, you know, in, in favor or against, hit us up at cantripcartel at gmail.com. If you want to hit up our Facebook group, which I have been responding to all the messages that have been posted, uh, my new rule is I just have to stop what I'm doing. Like if I'm I'm literally in work and I literally just like park my truck because I'm a delivery driver and respond. Yep. That's, and the I, only, that's the I only way. I read them all. If you want to talk to me in particular, tag me and I will respond. I do read them all. Hit us up, Cantrip Cartel on Facebook, and you can uh, hit us on Twitter at Cantrip Cartel. Matt, is there anything I'm forgetting? Nope. Well, in that case, I think we will see you guys first on the Family Gathering podcast and then next week. All right. Have a nice night, guys. All right. So for the last time for a while, I think I'm going to uh, play a fetch land and pass. Okay. You're not going to do anything on your turn? Nope. You're playing Delver. I've just conceded. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know I'm playing Delver. It's a flooded strand. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) 